You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Luke. For those of you who don't know, if you're new with us, I want to say welcome. Can I use a stand there? Is that all right? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, all right. We're going through the book of Exodus. If you're, if you're new and if you're not new, we're still going through the book of Exodus. But uh, um, we're going through today, this morning, we're in Exodus 32. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Exodus 32. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you a Bible. If you don't, like if you don't have a Bible at home, we have Bibles available out at what we call Info Central. And so be sure to, to grab one, the, the paperback, I feel like I got to say it, paperback ones are free, like you can, you can take those. The other ones cost just a little bit, but we want to we wanna get you Bible. So Exodus 32, so go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning there, I just want to share a story with you. Um, when I was a kid, well, first of all, l- let me just ask, have any of you ever been attacked by a dog? Anybody? I think it's, wow, that's, okay, that's more people than I would have expected. Like that's a regular like a kind of a common thing, I guess. Okay. Um, uh, I was, I was uh, attacked by a dog when I, was, when I was super little. And it was kind of one of those experiences, you know, I don't know if you have those experiences where you, when you look back on it, you're like, I kind of remember that, but I think that I've kind of filled in the gaps with, with horrendous details. Um, so I'm just going to share with you what I remember. Because when I was a kid, I, I couldn't have been more than like four um, I was, my dad took me with him out to, uh, to work at this salvage yard because my dad, he's, he's always d- done stuff with salvage vehicles and he was partnering with a guy, um, up in Brashear, Missouri. It's by Kirksville. And, um, so, so I was there with him and they were, they were doing something, him and his partner, they were doing something together. And I was over here playing in like this sandbox. Um, and again, just little, little Luke, you know, four years old playing with trucks or whatever. And all of a sudden... I remember this big German shepherd just being on top of me. And like, I, I remember in probably my uh, embellished imagination, like I remember this dog just like grabbing a hold of my ear. Obviously, I have an ear left, so I don't know, like, and I don't, I don't, it's a little bit deformed. Maybe that's because of the dog. I'm not quite sure. But uh, I, I just remember this dog being over me. And I remember my dad, like in the same instance, I remember my dad being there. My dad just owning that dog. And, and I don't think he killed the dog, but I don't think the dog was none too happy after, after coming in contact with my dad. And, and uh, I, I remember hearing my dad explain the story from his perspective. And it, the way he told it, you know, he was, he was over doing something with his, with his guy and they were working on stuff. And he looked over and he saw me playing in the, in the sandbox and he saw this dog stalking me. Like, like you would see on like the, the nature channel or whatever, you know, like, like the lion stalking the gazelle and, and just coming up on me. So my dad started making a beeline towards me. And at the same moment, that dog jumped. And, and what I take away from that story and what I want to, what I want to talk through this morning is that if it were not for my dad, like if it were just me, four-year-old little Luke, oblivious to my surroundings and everything else, if it were just me up against this big German shepherd, German shepherd wins every time, right? That's, that's, not a, that's not a pretty end to that story. But, but my dad, 
who's this big country boy, like pretty, pretty rough guy. Everybody thinks he's from the deep south because of the way he talks. But like, like if it's my dad against this German shepherd, it, it might still be a little bit scary, a little hair raising, but my dad's going to win. And see, see me in that situation, I desperately needed someone to stand between me and that dog. Because again, if it wasn't for, for my dad, I'd, I'd be done, right? And see, in the same way, what I want us to walk away with this morning, kind of the big idea for this morning, is that we desperately need someone to stand between us and God. We desperately need someone to stand in the gap. And, and, and what I want to do this morning, I want to look through chapter 32, and I want to explain why. So you got to stick with me, okay? We're going we're gonna, to go through this and unpack the whys of why do I say that? But that's what I want you to get, right? Big idea. We desperately need someone to stand in the gap for us. Chapter 32, starting in verse 1, all right? Read along with me. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Let's, let's stop there. I'm, I'm just going to ask you to just pray with me as we get into this. God, I, I praise you for your word. I praise you for, for just the truth that we see in here. And God, as we go through this, just um, open up our ears to hear and open up our minds to receive. And it's in your name. Amen. As we see this, this process, first of all, we see a people, we see the Israelites in this like spiritual crises. Okay, the first thing we see is they're, they're saying, Moses, where's this Moses guy? Right, they get Aaron and they're saying, Aaron, get up, make us gods. Because this Moses guy, we don't know what's happened to him. We don't know where he's went. We don't know, we don't know what's going on with, with all that. Where really, I mean, where was Moses at this time? If, if you read back through like the past, I don't know, five chapters or so, Todd preached on it two weeks ago. Stan preached on it last week. Moses is still up on the top of Mount Arara. He's still on the top of the mountain talking to God, right? That, that's where Moses is. He's still up on that mountain where if you read earlier in Exodus, the mountain is enshrouded with, with dark clouds. There's still lightning and thunder. There's still like, it's on fire pretty much. It's like a volcano, an active volcano. And it's all the manifestation of the glory of God. Just this, this, this weighty glory of God, this unapproachable glory. And yet the people are like, yeah, we don't know what's happened to Moses. All the while, Moses is, God is teaching Moses. He's saying, this is what it looks like for people to be with, with me in relationship. This is what it looks like for you to, to worship me. And this is how you go about it. And this is, this is how we're going to make this thing work. And this is, this is what this is going to look like. And all these different things. And God is, is explaining to Moses what it looks like to be his people. And the people are at the bottom of the mountain saying, yeah, I mean, yeah, we still see all that. We still see the glory. We still see the fire, we still, but, 
but it's kind of removed, right? I mean, that's, that's Moses' thing. He's up there doing that. But we don't know what's going to happen with us down here. Like, we're, we're down in the valley. We're in the wilderness. So we don't know what happened to him. So Aaron, get up. Make us gods because we, we need something that's going to that's gonna be dependable. We need something that's going to take us out from this place because, because they, they're in this spiritual crisis where they don't know what's happening. They don't know what God's doing. It's been 40 days since the last time they've seen Moses. And so it would appear as though God's not working on their timeline, right? He's not working according to what they think. It's almost like they're saying, hey, we've been out of Egypt for a while now. And if it were me driving, we'd already been there, right? Like, what, did everybody drink too much before we left Egypt that we're still wandering around, you know, like your family where it's like, kids, you're not drinking. We are all going to be dehydrated by the time we get to where we're going, because we're not stopping, we're just, we're just getting there, right? If I was driving, we'd already be there. What's God doing? And it seems as like, I don't think you have to read into it too far to see like the fear of what if setting in, in these people. The fear of like, is, is this really what we were saved for? Is this really why we were brought out of Egypt? To be in the wilderness, to be, to be still here. Like, didn't, didn't God say something about a land flowing with milk and honey? And yet, where's that? What, what happens to people when, when we start going through these times of crisis? Because what happens to the Israelites is they took their eyes off the glory of God and they started to look around and say, well, where, where else can we put this? What else can fulfill? I remember um, one time... Not too long ago, well, it's, it's been a few years ago. I, time is all relative, right? I mean, I always say the other day, and it could have been five years ago. Um, but uh, the other day, uh, my, kids, my kids were, they were diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when, when, they, were, when they were younger. And um, I remember I was pastoring this church in Sumner, Iowa, and, and uh, just trying to go through all of this, you know, what does this mean and what does it look like to, um, to have this these situations and deal with these medical things and, and, and trying to figure that out. And, and it was so cool because um, during the, the first 21 days of the year, my church, like 45 people or so decided to fast with us and pray with us. We did this thing called the Daniel fast and, and we fasted and we prayed and we sought God for healing for my kids and life for the church and, and all these different things. And all these people were fasting and praying with us. And, and through the course of this, of this, of these 21 days that our doctors in Iowa city, they planned a follow-up appointment with us, and it happened, just so happened, the sovereignty of God just so happened to work out, it was going to be on the day after we broke fast with our church family. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, like, we were, we were going to break fast on Sunday morning, worship together, have a potluck, right? I mean, like, that's the best way to break a fast, because church, I don't know about in Missouri, but in Iowa, church women know how to cook. Like, there's always that weird style, you don't really know what it is, but... Um, like Snickers mixed in with Jello, but there's there's a lot of good food at a potluck, right? And so we were gonna break fast, and we like God just moved in this church too. Like that morning, it was so crazy because in this in this I mean conservative church, just the Holy Spirit just fell and and did some amazing things, and people were testifying and confessing sin, and it was so awesome. And we were all just praying in faith about what was going to happen the next day, how the doctors were going to to let us know what God had done, and they were going to affirm what God had done. And we went to church or we went to the the hospital the next day, and it was almost the opposite. As the doctors told us that, that our kids were actually worse, 
And as the doctors told us that we needed to start new medication and we needed a plan for different things, I just, I just remember feeling so lost in that moment. Like I, re- I remember thinking, like, really? This is the plan? Like, we, we followed you, God. We came out here. We did this. And where are you? You're not showing up. And now I have to, as a, as a young pastor, I had to go back to my church and tell them, like, yeah, I don't know. We had all this faith. We did all this stuff. And yet, I don't know. And, and I remember going back home that night. And I remember sitting with my wife and just saying, I, I, don't, I don't know, like, God can't be the God I read about in the Bible. God can't be the God that I thought he was because it's, it's kind of that cliche conundrum, right? Where either God is all powerful and he can work. He's just not all loving and so he doesn't, right? Or he's all loving, but he's not all powerful because if he was all loving, then he would, he would work in this situation. And, and what I thought he would do would, would be what was done. And what I thought the timeline that would happen would be what had happened. And yet I started to take my eyes off of God, off of the glory of God. And I started figuring out, all right, what, what else is there? Because I can't do this anymore. And my wife in that moment, she's just so awesome. God gave her just the right words to speak and the strength to speak them in. She's like, you can't put God in your box because he doesn't fit. God doesn't work the way we think he should. And, and, and yet there are so many times where we come to these spiritual crises and we start to, we start to say, okay, God, like I thought this. Obviously I was wrong. Obviously you're not the God who I thought you. Obviously you, you can't work. You can't fulfill me. You can't, you can't do these things. And so like the Israelites, we begin to say, up, Aaron, make us a God that, that I can see. Make me something that will, will fulfill me. And so Aaron got up and he, he took their gold and it says that they took the gold from, from their wives and their children and they gave it to Aaron and he took it and he, I don't know what it takes to make gold into a calf, but I'm assuming that's a kind of an in, involved process, especially to make something where it's like, like not like a, a kindergartner, you know, making a clay thing. And it's like, what is that? Oh, it's a calf. Oh yeah, oh, I see it, right? For them to actually be like, Oh, yeah, that's a calf. I mean, he, it had to have taken some time, right? And so he takes this gold and he melts it down and he engraves it. And he, takes, he takes an engraving tool and he makes it and they say, these are your gods. This is, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. This, we're going to worship. We're going to sacrifice. It says they went, to bed or, they went to bed and they rose up early. It says they, they worshiped and they brought sacrifices. And they sat down to eat and drink and they got up to play. And that, that word play, it's this, it's this revelry, it's debauchery, it's sexual connotations. It says that they basically just debase themselves before this, before this thing. And yet I, I look at that and I'm like, a cow? Really? That's, that's your answer. We're, we're going we're gonna to make a statue of a cow because that's going to save us. Like, I don't know if you've ever worked with cows. I hate cows. I grew up with cows, working with cows on the farm. Cows are, my, my grandpa used to say that cows are so dumb that every time they blink, they think it's a new day. And I believe it. And yet they're, they're like, oh, this is going to save us, right? And, and it's, a, it's a throwback. What they made was a throwback to Egypt. Because the, this cow, that was, it was a representation of one of, their, one of their most powerful gods in this pantheon of gods. 
the name was uh, Hathor. I don't know how you pronounce that, but I think that's right. Um, and this, this, this cow represented beauty and power and fertility and love. But it was a throwback to Egypt. And it was almost like they were saying, well, well this God thing, I mean, it got, us, it got us a little ways, but obviously we're still stuck, and so we're going to go back to what we know. Because, because after all, it didn't, it didn't help the Egyptians when God was bringing all the plagues and when, when God's like, oh yeah, you, you have a guy named Hathor who's supposed to be so powerful and she's supposed to do all these different things and all this. Uh, okay, I'm gonna kill the representation of your God. I'm gonna kill all the livestock. What now? Like what, what else you got? You got a God that looks like a frog? Okay, you're gonna be sick of frogs. They're in your bed now. You like, you like frogs? You like a frog God? There you go, right? I mean, it's like, it's like God was saying, all right, what, what God you got? Like bring them on. Bring them on, right? Let's do this. And one after the other, he knocks them down. And yet they're like, well, God can't survive. So I'm going to go back to who I was. This obviously didn't work for me. So I'm going to go back to the chains of my bondage. I'm going to go back to, it didn't work for Egypt, but maybe it'll work for us. How often do we hear that, right? Well, I know, I know what the Bible says. I know, I know these different things, but you know, we're different. My boyfriend and I, we're different. We have a different relationship. I know what the Bible, I know that, the, that money doesn't fulfill, but, you know, I, I, it might work for me. We're, we're different. I know that thing, it didn't work for me, but maybe it will this time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to, to who I was and, and what, I, what I used to do, because maybe, maybe now, maybe it'll be different. And yet, see, see that they worshiped and they sacrificed. And we do that. Like I, this past week, um, I had a crazy week this past week. I was actually um, up in Iowa. Um, so I wasn't here last Sunday. I was up in Iowa and I taught this class for, for missions. And, and I had two classes I taught on Sunday and one class I taught on Monday. And then I, had, I actually did a funeral on, on uh, Tuesday morning up in Sumner. And then I had another class I taught on Tuesday and and teaching Thursday and now this morning. And, and, and as, I, as I would kind of talk to people about my week, you know, I'd, I'd get the same reaction like, oh, wow, that's you're so busy. Wow, that's crazy. And, and every time, like, God revealed to me as I was driving, as I was putting all these miles on, God revealed to me that it's like, this is a God for you. The approval of these people, you talking up your schedule, you talking about how, how busy you are and how important you are. This is a God for you. This is something you worship. And in the same way as these people got up and they made their own God and they're like, this is going to fulfill. This is going to make us a people. This is going to lead us out. If I just follow this, if I just do this, this will, and they sacrifice to it in the same way all too often. I'll just confess to you all too often. I put my family on the altar of approval of others. I sacrifice my family for what other people are going to say about me, for the affirmation. And we do that in other things. I've seen people, I've talked to people about like, things like sports, whether they play them or that, whether they watch them. Right? The, you, you can't tell me that's not worship. Right? You can't tell me people, and I'm, I don't know if any of you in here are this, so if you're like, oh, he's talking about me, that's the Holy Spirit, right? So you take it up with God, right? But if, if you deck out your vehicle... And like, oh, 49ers all the way. I don't, I don't know sports. But, you know, it's like, you know, you deck out your vehicle and you, like, you don't do anything around these time periods because you have to bow down at the altar of the mighty television to watch your team, right? 
Isn't that worship? And we sacrifice at the altar. I remember at my church, there would be people who it's like, well, I want to be a volleyball star. And so if I'm going to be a volleyball star, I got to be on the, on the, first of all, the school team. But if I want to be on the school team, I have to be on these traveling teams. And if I want to be on the traveling team, then I have to be on this all-star team. And, and if we're going to be on all these teams, like you guys know what I'm talking about, if we want to be on all these teams, that means we're gone these months out of the year. And as a pastor, I remember talking to a good friend of mine. And I'm like, what are you doing? Letting these sports rule your life. Who's your God? Who's your God? Because you are sacrificing. I mean, how often do we sacrifice for, for you know, people sacrifice having children for the sake of their careers. And they're, they're like, well, we're going to put this on hold and we're going we're gonna to pursue this because this is going to fulfill. Or, or how often with, like, with sex, we worship it. Sexual, sexual impurity, we, we worship sex and, and we, we run after it and we think it's going to fulfill. And how many children, how many families have been sacrificed on the altar of sexual freedom? Because our culture says you can do whatever you want with whoever you want, whether it's a live person or somebody on the screen. And yet all the while, if you, if you suffer, you know, if you have constant, if you get pregnant, we, we can take care of that too. How many children have been sacrificed? How many families have been sacrificed? See, uh, R.C. Sproul says this, the cow gave no law and demanded, demanded no obedience. It had no wrath or justice or holiness to be feared. It was deaf, dumb, and impotent, but at least it could not intrude on their fun and call them to judgment. This was a religion designed by men, practiced by men, and ultimately useless for men. Ultimately useless for men. You see, we come to these places where we, where we, where we, see these idols and we say, I don't know what's happening here. I'm in this spiritual crisis, so I'm going to run after these things. And ultimately, it leads to brokenness. It leads to despair. I, I heard a story a few years ago about this young woman named Madison Holleran. And it's just haunted me ever since I've heard it because she was only 19. And she was, a, she was an all-star at her high school, um, all-star soccer, all-star track, just like all-around athlete. She was the top of her class in grades, everything. I mean, her dream was to go to an Ivy League college, get this incredible education, have this experience, right? But she, she, got, um, she got accepted to Pennsylvania, uh, the University of Pennsylvania. And when she went there, she was going to run soccer and, and while she, or not run soccer, run track. But, but her, her track, like she wasn't great when she got to that level. She couldn't keep it up. She couldn't keep her grades up. She couldn't, she, she looked at all the experience that she saw on Instagram and Facebook and, and the lives that everybody else was having. And she, she said, why can't I have that? This, this thin veneer of life, it just faded away. And at the age of 19, after, after she went home for Thanksgiving break, she came back to school she bought presents for her family. She wrote them a note. She left it at the, the ninth story of this parking garage on campus and then jumped. Her, her dad says this. We knew she needed help, he said. She knew she needed help. She had lost confidence in academics, and she also lost confidence in her track abilities. See, when we take our eyes off of the glory of God and we put them on other things, we desperately need somebody to stand in the gap because those things will not fulfill. And sooner or later, that's going to come crashing down. Right? Those gods, those gods were never meant to be gods. 
What do you do in spiritual crisis? Who do you run to in, in those moments? What, what God do you serve? What God do you worship? I think it's important for us to ask that question. I think it's important for us to, to ask the question, what would break me if it were taken away from me? What would break me if it were taken away from me? What about your kids? What about relationships? What about your job? What would break me if it were taken away from me? What would, as you, as you think about those different things, I was, I was thinking about this morning, that what, what is it that as you think about those things, you kind of get that twinge in your stomach? It's like, ooh. Yeah, don't, don't hit on that one. Like all those other ones, those are bad. Don't, just don't, don't talk about that one. What is that one? What is that thing? What is the thing that, another question I think is good to ask is what is your default setting? You know what I mean? Like what's your default? You go through difficult times and that thing that you're so prone to walk back to. We, in Salt Company this past week, it was the last Salt Company, we talked about uh, Peter. And after Peter denied Christ, he went back to his fishing boat. That was kind of his default setting. He's like, I don't know where I stand with Jesus, and I don't know where I stand with all this stuff. This is a spiritual crisis, so I'm going to go back to fishing because that's what I know. What is it for you? For the, for the Israelites, it was going back to the chains of the Egyptian worship and religion. What would that be for you? Let's read on. Verse 7. I promise we're going to go faster. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. First of all, isn't that, I just promised I'd go fast. We read one verse. But, but if you, I mean, look at that, right? I mean, it's kind of humorous. That's a parenting trick, isn't it? Like, I remember one time my daughter cut her own hair and then she cut my son's hair. And I remember like coming home and my wife was outside like, never guess what your kids did. And it's like, wait, wait a second. I think we were both involved in this, right? Like, God's like, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Verse eight, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen, I, Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God is saying, look, they're stiff necked. They, keep, they keep going back to Egypt. They keep going back to their, their default setting. They keep going back to their nets. They keep going back to, to worshiping sex and all these things that, that it will not satisfy them. Moses, why let's you and me, let's just run off together. Right? We got a good thing going, right, Moses? Let's just keep this going. See Moses' response, verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? You like that? He's like, wait a second. Hey, I was just a shepherd, right? I, I was just in the wilderness, and you came in a burning bush, and this is y'all your idea, right? He goes on, verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. All right. In this, what we see is, is the first correct response to sin. 
God is saying, look, Moses, all this stuff is happening. And I don't believe that, I don't believe God has forgotten his promises. I don't believe God has forgotten these things, but I believe that he's trying to figure out, all right, what Mo- Moses, what's in your heart? What, what's going to come out of you when I, when I talk about this? And the first response that Moses gives is that he, he implores before the Lord. He, he goes before the Lord. He prays for the people. Isn't that so good? Like he, he goes before God and he says, God, no, they're your people. God, I'm going to stand on your promises. How often do we look around at our culture? Do we look around at people that we supposedly love? And do we look with judgment instead of prayer? And do we, do we drive downtown on Thursday nights, Thirsty Thursday, right? And we see all the things that are happening downtown. And how often do we respond by saying, God, oh, God, please Bring conviction, bring healing, bring restoration in this place. I love where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And he tells them, he says, he says, pray, when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's like, lift up the name of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that sweet? The, the thing that Jesus says, when you pray, pray in this way. He says, when you see places where my kingdom has not yet been revealed or has not been recognized, pray that my kingdom would come in that place. Pray that my will would be done in that place. And Moses, he hears about the sins of people and he responds. He's, he's saying, God, he stands in the gap. He says, God, forgive them. Do we stand in the gap for people? Do we love people in that way? It goes on. Verse 15, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand and burned it with, uh, out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf and that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Verse 21, and Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? All right, let's not, let's not go on too far from that, right? You see what Moses did there? First of all, I, I love the fact that, that he responds by throwing things because I, I feel like I can relate to that. There have been times where in my, in my uh, anger, I've thrown a few things. But, but Moses, he comes down from the mountain, right? He sees what's going on. He takes the tablets and he, he responds and he, he throws the tablets and he breaks them, which represents what sin does between us and God. See, these people just said, we will, we will serve God. We will follow the law of God. We will follow who God is. And, and Moses takes those tablets and he breaks them. He says, that's what you're doing. That's what you've done with God. Then, then he takes the, the golden calf and it says he burns it and he grinds it. And then he makes them drink it. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Like, that feels like it's over the top. Right, I, it's like if Joshua would be like, "Oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, now you're gonna make them eat this." Like it's like if you have a dog, right? Like a puppy. I remember when when our dog was a puppy and he'd 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 pee on the floor and I'd take him and I, I don't know if this is good or not, but I'd take him and rub his nose in it. Right? It's kind of this idea of saying like, "You smell that, right? 
Do you, do you see what you've done? Do you see the, the implications of this? This is not good. This is wrong. And see, it's not, it's not loving to show people that things are wrong. It's, it's not unloving. I mean, it's not unloving to show people that things are wrong because first, what Moses does, he responds and he goes to God in prayer, but then he reveals to people what their sin has done between them and God. He says, this is what's happening. It's broken and it's wrong and you need to feel the wrongness of that. And he comes before them in love and his anger is burning hot against them. And when he sees the sins of people who are supposed to be following God, his anger burns hot against them. How, how often do you get frustrated by the sins that you see brothers and sisters doing? How often do we see that and, and, and does it, is it just the wrongness? Does it hit you? See, Moses, not only does he, does he break the tablets, not only does he grind up the idol and make them drink it, but then he goes and confronts Aaron. See, this sin is, it, three times in here it says a great sin, and other, uh, another translation says a grievous sin, a grave sin. He goes, and not, not only does he just break the tablets, not only does he grind up the, the idol and make him drink it, but then he goes to Aaron. See, I believe that's a biblical response when we see people, brothers and sisters, in sin. Don't, we don't just sit back and, and write, like, Facebook messages and, and shoot them out and, oh, I can't believe you posted this. Oh, you know. No, we, we go to people because the, the, the purpose is restoration, right? These are God's people, Moses is saying, where you're at right now is not good. Do we see that? Do we love people enough to pray for them? Do we love people enough to, to say, man, your relationship is broken. Do we love people enough to go to them and confront them? Or, on the other hand, do we see sin like Aaron saw sin? Because Aaron's response to all this, sorry, in verse 21 or 22, says, and Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot, let, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Like, do, do you feel the, it's like, hey, 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 calm down, right? Okay, I'll drink it, right? I'll drink the golden cow. I don't agree with it, but I'll drink it, right? I feel it. But don't, let's chill. First, he, just, he, downsplay, he downplays the whole situation, doesn't he? Let not your anger burn hot against me. It's not that big of a deal. You know how people are. Like, do you really expect young men and women to stay sexually pure? Like, really? Come on. In our culture, in our day and age, you really expect us to follow the laws of God. Like, really? You, you really expect us to pursue holiness in the, in the society that we live in? Really? You know how people are. Come on. Not only does he, does he blame the, the, the situation, he tries to, tries to downplay it, but he blames the people that he's around. He's like, you, you don't know what they, were, what they were pressing me into. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what that person said to me. You don't, you weren't here. I know it says this, but you don't understand my situation. He blames other people. And I think it's so easy for us to blame the world around us and people around us and, and like the people we're in relationship with and, and our spouses or our, our boyfriends or girlfriends. Well, well, you don't know the pressure. 
He downplays it. He blames other people and he just justifies. He justifies the whole thing. He's like, hey, I threw the gold in and popped. What do you expect me to do? It was, a, it was an accident. I fell into it. I stumbled. I slipped. You, you can't be angry. See, do we see sin that way? Do we downplay it? Do we just try and justify it? Do we, do we blame other people? Do we see sin in that way? Because I think if we do, the next part is really difficult. Right? Because the next thing we see is the consequence for that sin. It says, And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his own son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. See, I see things like that, and I see that passage, and what I see is like, oh, that's the God of the Old Testament again. Let's just explain that away, right? That, I mean, that's... that's that's the Old Testament. Now we have the New Testament. God is really wrathful and vengeful. Jesus is cool, though. Like, let's just look at Jesus. But, but I wonder what we would say a just, righteous God should do in, that, in this situation. What would a just, righteous, what should he do in a situation where they just got released from 400 years of bondage, from 400 years of slavery? They, they were just brought out of, of Egypt from a strong hand of God. They, they were... They were rescued from the, the Egyptian army. They were brought through on dry land through the Red Sea. They, like that morning, that morning, I wonder when, when it says they sat down to eat and got up to play, what did they eat? I wonder. Could it have been manna? Could it have been the very thing that God gave to sustain them? The thing that they were worshiping, where did that come from? It came from the gold that God provided for them when they went out of Egypt. They took these blessings of God, they took the, the provision of God, and they used it for things that weren't God. They took good things and made them ultimate, and they worshiped those things. What's, and, and not only that, but the blood of the new covenant, which was which was poured out for them, which was sprinkled on them, that, that made it possible for them to be with God, was barely drying on their clothes before they're, they're going after another idol. Over and over, they, they said, we'll worship you, God. We'll follow you, God. See, the crazy thing about this is not that there was consequences. It's not that the fact that, that you know, 300,000 men died, which would have been about a tenth of a tenth of a percent, right? Like one in a thousand people. But the, the crazy thing is that they all didn't die. The crazy thing was that, that God didn't just wipe them all out. And see, we look at it and we say, wow, that, that, that seems really harsh, but I think it's because we have the response of Aaron instead of the response of Moses to the sin that we commit. It's like when, when I was with my nephew, me and my wife, when uh, a long time ago, we were with our nephew and we were coming out of a department store and, and he, just like a kid, not even thinking, just ran out. Like, have you ever had that experience? You're walking out of Walmart or something and your kids just run out and like, <laughs> it was just one fluid motion. Like, I grabbed him by the arm and then I spanked him. <laughs> like, it was one, like, automatic response, 
boom. And then as I did that, I was like, this is not my child. Boom. Like, (laughs) what did I just do, (laughs) right? But the reason is, is because there was immediate danger. I didn't want him to die. I didn't want him to run out in front of a commune. Just this little kid. I didn't want him to run out in front. There was immediate danger. I think the reason we look at this and we say, wow, man, consequences of sin, that seems so, so harsh. We don't understand it's because there's a dog on top of us. And so often our temptation is to just go into that and say, oh, that'll fulfill. That'll save. See, we are in desperate need of someone to stand in the gap for us because we don't understand the danger that we are walking in. And Moses saw that, right? Moses saw that in the midst of their, of their spiritual crises, in the midst of all these different things, in the midst of them trying to go back to the, the things of Egypt, going back to who they were instead of walking in who they are. Moses saw that, and he, he calls these people to himself. And I believe that, that God is calling a group of people to say, in the, in the midst of spiritual compromise, in the midst of moral compromise, to say, no, we're, we're going to stand with the Lord we're going to stand on his side. But, but Moses saw this also in verse 30. It says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. Again, that word. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, and the people, he says, look, you've done it. He says, maybe I can go. Maybe I can make atonement for your sin. Maybe I can stand in the gap for you. Because if, if nobody stands in the gap for us, we're done. Because we've taken our eyes off God. We've put it on other things. We've, we've thought this thing will, will fulfill us. And we're feeling the weight of that conviction, the consequence of that sin. And he's saying, maybe I can go. Maybe I can stand in the gap for you. And he goes up to God and he says, yeah, they sinned. But please forgive them. And if not, take me instead. Let me die in their place. And yet God's response, he says, no, Moses, you don't get it. You're just as sinful as they are. You, you weren't down around that idol, but your heart is just as sinful. See, the reality of this situation is that Moses was not a good enough mediator for us. Moses was not a good enough mediator for them. He, he was still sinful. He still had these different things. And yet what we see in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. What we see there is, is as we take our eyes off God and we are so tempted to put it on other things, God is calling us out of that. But in order to be back in relationship with God, we had to have a mediator. We had to have somebody to stand in our gap because of the danger that we were walking in. And what Jesus did was he said, I am that. And so this morning, as I ask you, what, what are the idols what is your default? What is the sin that you're walking in right now? That it's who you were, not who you are. Guys, I believe that what God would have us see here is that we have to take our eyes off of that that doesn't fulfill and put it back on Jesus because Jesus, Hebrews says, is a better mediator than Moses was. Moses couldn't do anything for us. We can't do anything for us. And that's why Jesus came. 
Do you see your sin like that? Do you see salvation that is offered for each and every one of us through the sacrifice of Jesus? We're gonna, we're gonna worship. We're gonna respond in worship. And at this time, what we're gonna do, um, for those of you who, who've been here for a while, you know what's gonna happen now. The band's gonna come up and, and we're gonna take communion together. And as we do, as we, as we take communion, there's stations set up around the room and there's gluten-free bread over in this corner. What we're gonna do is, is we're gonna take that bread, which Jesus, as, as he as he set this up with his disciples the night before he was crucified. He says, do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of what? In remembrance of the sacrifice. In remembrance of the fact that he is our go-between. He is the mediator. That, that the sin that we committed by taking our eyes off God and putting on other things, he took the consequences. He took the payment on his own body. And he went to the cross for us. You see, as we go before God in communion, we're going to take, tear off a piece of that bread, which Jesus said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. And we're going to dip it in the cup, which Jesus says, this, is, this represents the blood, which was poured out for you. And if you would sit there and say, I have accepted Jesus, I've submitted to him, I have put my faith in him. I've taken my eyes off idols. I say, yes, I want to be on the Lord's side. I don't know how to do that sometimes. Sometimes I, I just I fail. But as we continue to put our eyes on Jesus, if you, if you would say, yes, I've accepted him, then I would invite you to come and take part in this and, and remember what Jesus has done. And for those of you who are saying, man, my eyes are still on those things. Those are still going to fulfill. I just encourage you, take this time and just seek after God, confess, repent, turn, and put your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. God, I, I praise you. I praise you for the fact that we can put our eyes on you, that, that even though we stand condemned because of, of the, the things that we've done, God, in, in, in our spiritual crises, we've, we've taken our eyes off you because we don't think you're going to fulfill and we put it on other things, no matter if that's, that's things from our past or, or things what if about our future, God? We, we put our eyes on other things. But God, I praise you that you made a way back to you, that, that you came, that you died, Jesus, to bring us back into relationship. And I pray that you would help us to continue to set our eyes on you and, and live in that relationship. Praise you and we thank you. It's in your name. Amen.